You're listening to the Small Biz Ahead podcast, brought to you by The Hartford. Good morning, and welcome back to Small Biz Ahead, the small business podcast presented by The Hartford. I am John Adekonis, joined today by my co-host, um, as, as usual, Gene Marks, and a very special guest, Paul Jean-Frido, um, the president and CEO of Mental Health America. How's everybody doing today? Doing great. And John, I want you to know that I'm doing well too. Thank you so much for asking. Awesome. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. Well, thank you all for making time uh, to, to join us today. <laughs> Paul, you are the president of an organization called Mental Health America. Mental health, um, I feel like, is a word that is becoming more and more used in everyday vernacular, right? And I think We've had a lot of conversation um, the past, you know, I'd say four or five years around um, what that really means, right? Um, the difference between things like mental illness and mental wellness, how to preserve your own mental health and things like self-care becoming more um, regularly discussed and accepted topics. So, you know, when we think about your role in your organization, Mental Health America, you guys are a community nonprofit. How is it that you kind of fit into that equation? Well, we are the organization of all of the national advocacy organizations uh, that has focused throughout our entire lifespan, which is now more than 11, 111 years, on mental health as opposed to mental illness, either in general or specific mental illnesses. And it is important to recognize that, that mental health uh, is everybody's concern and maintaining our mental health is, in, is as important as maintaining our overall health. So. For us, the paradigm revolves around prevention, early identification and intervention for people at risk, integrated services with recovery as the goal, just as it would be with any other health condition. Awesome. And how did you, um, like, what sparked the need for you to kind of find this organization and, and how did it kind of come to be? Well, the organization, you know, was founded uh, actually by a young man in his 20s, Clifford Beers, uh, who had lived in Connecticut uh, with a lived experience of a mental illness. And he had been institutionalized, seeing the conditions in the early 1900s in the institutions uh, that were serving people with serious mental health conditions, and many times people with non-serious, what we would call traditionally non-serious mental health conditions, and really felt that something needed to be done about it. Now, for me, I came to Mental Health America seven years ago, uh, pretty much as somebody who had gotten my start in public policy in the Connecticut State Legislature, who had learned on the job about behavioral health policy in particular, and then learned also on the job as the parent of a son who had a serious mental illness that he developed at the age of five and lived with until he died earlier this year at the age of 35. I'm so sorry for your loss. But thank you. It's, it's you know, been, been difficult. And for, for many people, you know, they, they really don't understand, I think, how, you know, how much uh, mental health conditions affect families in the same way that physical health conditions affect families. I, I had the you know misfortune uh, a couple years ago to lose an adult daughter to cancer. And the way people reacted to my adult daughter having cancer was so different from the way people reacted in general in society to my adult son living with schizophrenia. You know, both of them uh, dealt with what I call stage four illnesses. Uh, during the latter part of their lives, and uh, each of them uh, lived a life that uh, meant a lot to the people who loved them, and frankly, meant a lot to the world around them. I think each of them have helped change these dialogues, even though um, people look at those conditions very differently. 
Right. You know, and what's kind of interesting is how you, you put it into perspective there, right? Because I think that do, people do oftentimes try and separate um, how you accept and treat and interact with someone with, with a physical health condition versus kind of how you treat and, and interact and, and really respect somebody with a mental health condition. So, you know, our audience here tends to be um, small business owners, right? So do you find that there's um, like a, a disparity in, in even work culture or in the workplace? Or how might someone who who is employing folks kind of think about that too? Because I think it must be a challenge to to think about the policies or the practices that you might have to have in place or really understand where to get more information or, or how to start to learn or understand so you can actually kind of deal with those types of issues appropriately kind of in a, a supervisory role. Yeah, I think that there are some biases built into the way we approach mental health conditions versus physical health conditions. And it's not the fault of anybody who's trying to run a small business, for example, that they may worry more about the impact on the business of somebody with a mental health condition. And that's just because this bias has been built in because we've really approached mental health conditions really from a public safety perspective. If you think about it during all of our lifetimes, the trigger to treatment as a matter of public policy on the mental health side has been danger to self or others. And what that's done is not only apply a public safety model instead of a public health model to mental health conditions, but it's actually made them the only chronic diseases in America that we wait till stage four to treat and then often inappropriately through incarceration or dealing with the public safety system. So it's no surprise that somebody, a small business owner, for example, or, or any employer would be thinking when somebody discloses that they might have a mental health condition that, you know, this means that, you know, they may become a danger in my workplace, so they may affect my customers or they may affect themselves in some ways differently from the way somebody might disclose having heart disease or having diabetes or having cancer, for example. And so I think we do need to bring those things together and recognize that, in fact, if we do early identification and intervention, if somebody is willing to disclose that they've got a problem and seek uh, care, treatment, or support for that uh, medical condition, they're more likely uh, to move to recovery more quickly, and they're more likely to be more productive uh, throughout. So my encouragement, I mean, I'm a, mine is a small business as well. We have 32 people working at Mental Health America at the national level. Um, we actually value the lived experience of people having mental health conditions who come to, to work for us. But the, the truth is that uh, people can be remarkably productive if we foster a climate where people can talk more openly about their mental health. And certainly this last year has taught us all that we need to be more open about the mental health impacts that this pandemic has had on us. Right. Well, it's interesting, right? Because it really kind of fits into this notion of inclusion, which I feel is something a lot of business leaders have been thinking about too. Like how how do I really define diversity um, like on different dimensions? And how do I kind of let people bring their their whole self and kind of whole experience to work? And, and how do I kind of use that as a contributing factor to my business model? So I, I kind of ask you a little bit, because you made an interesting comment about kind of like the early warning signs, right? And how sometimes people wait till they're in a progressed state to really even recognize that something's happening. Are there things that, you know, from an employer perspective, you might... Um, pick up on or that might signal like, hey, I, I have an employee or a partner here who who might need um, the opportunity to talk or, or maybe I need to think about like what crisis intervention might look like if it's not something that's as clearly disclosed. Yeah, I think that the challenge always is to act before stage four and with mental health conditions in particular, where people are in the workplace already, 
uh, and you know something is is going on. Most of the time, you know what happens is the the mental health conditions that people are feeling they're very private about. Uh, they actually make people feel different and and make people feel more alone. So in some respects, I would say that employers, you know, have to be attuned to the things that aren't overt uh, when they begin to happen. And, you know, part of that's in getting to know people, but but that can feel, you know, awfully much like you're prying at various times. So what I do, what I suggest to, to any people, any employer, the small or large, is talk about these things myself and make the dialogue acceptable within my workplace. If I'm willing to talk about the mental health impacts that I'm feeling uh, from things that are, that are happening and, and let people know it's okay uh, to talk about those things, that's really a good way not only to help people uh, talk about their own worries, their own concerns, their own anxieties, depression, and other things, but it's actually a good way to get support for yourself because uh, people tend to react in a very favorable way and a very supportive way to people who do uh, speak more openly about uh, anything that, that's, you know, eating at them in the course of their lives. No, it's interesting because I think the first step is to kind of build that rapport. Do you feel like mental health or, or the signs of someone who might be struggling with something always directly kind of um, like indicate something like mental illness or or maybe it's something that's more kind of like a mental wellness concern, right? That's kind of a, like a symptom of of an actual moment in life. Are there other ways that, you know, folks might think about how they lead into some of those conversations where they're not setting it up necessarily to, you know, make someone feel like they might be prying into something deeper than what it actually is? Yeah, I think that up till this year, you know, everybody's begun to understand that, you know, something like one in five people in any given year, one in six people, one in four people might have a diagnosable mental health condition. Uh, this past year, based on the data that the federal government has collected at CDC, the it's more like one in two, right? So um, the uh, honestly, I think that where we're at here is in, in trying to attempting to recognize that everybody is being faced with challenges to their mental health, whether or not they get a formal diagnosis of a mental illness. And typically that'll be something like anxiety, depression be the most common, but could be anxiety, could be psychosis. Um, psychosis really isn't as scary as a lot of people think it is uh, who have never had any experience with it. Um, but I think that the the real important thing here is to, to recognize that uh, this is so common, you know, the, the, these that we, we should deal with them in, in the same way we deal with you know, blood pressure screening, you know, high blood pressure being, you know, very common and and try to normalize the conversation around them, you know, within the workplace. Because again, we're not doing treatment within the workplace. So, you know, we're, we're, so long as we have our employees present, you know, they're getting their clinical care. And a lot of times their um, more formal services elsewhere that really all we need to do is provide an environment you know, that where, where everybody thrives. We don't even have to focus so much on those people who might have this year uh, a new serious mental health condition like depression. We don't have to focus on people uh, who are having assaults to their mental health. We really can. Some people say lift all boats. We really can do well for everybody, the five and five, not just the one in five or the, the, the two and five. We can do all well for the five and five by by normalizing these conversations and by really putting into effect the kinds of things that improve everybody's mental health, not just mitigate 
specific mental illnesses people may have. Awesome. No, thank you so much for that. I think that's really good insight. Um, Gene, you know, I'm wondering, you know, you're you're a small business owner. Um, you deal with a lot of people. <clears throat> you know, wondering if you kind of had any thoughts on on this topic as well, or some questions. I do, and and happy to take it over. Uh, you know, I do run a ten person company, and and I have questions that pertain to not only myself but also to a lot of my clients. But let's talk about me first because that's my favorite topic, right? Listen, you know, we talked about employees being under a lot of strain. Um, but I know you know this um, because you're a CEO of a company and you've had your challenges. Business owners have also been under a lot of strain uh, because of COVID. And even without COVID, you know, it, it is very stressful to run a small business. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, first of all, what advice you have for the business owner, for them to maintain their own mental health so that they could have a better outlook and be better um, you know, in a, in a better mood and a better attitude when running their businesses? Yeah, first of all, I think that the advice I try to give to myself also, because I, I relate, is right. to take care of yourself, right? right? You can't really take care of others and, and employees if you're not taking care of yourself. And so th that's the, the most important thing. And I think, you know, attendant to that is not feeling as if you've always got to work harder than everybody else who works for you, you know, to set that example of being the one who is is always, you know, first in the morning, last out at night kind of thing. And particularly as people are working around the clock these days, I think it becomes really important to, in taking care of oneself, to set an example that says it's okay to have work-life balance. It's not easy uh, to do that, of course, because, you know, the bottom lines become so important in some way, shape or form, for profit or not for profit, You've got to raise enough money. You've got to bring in enough money to pay everybody and to provide the benefits that you want to provide to them and to, to allow them to take the vacations you want them to have. Uh, but it's really important not to uh, set an example of, of overworking yourself into the ground uh, in order to do that or, you know, the small business won't survive. So, Paul, I mean, listen, you, you brought it up. You yourself have had some significant challenges over the past few years and you're running a business. And I know that obviously the loss of a child, children, um, can have you know a, you know an extreme impact on someone's mental health. Meanwhile, you've got to show up at work um, and have you know you, you still got a business to run, and you have employees that look up to you. And I'm kind of I'm, I'm wondering what specific things did you do? Um, you talk about not working, you know, having more balance, and that's that's fine generally. But can you share any specific things you did to to help you through those days and to help you manage your business so that your employees knew that they still had a leader at the helm that was focused on the job? Yeah, I, I'm, uh, it's a good question because, you know, I haven't actually, you know, worked through all of this yet. I mean, these, these are very recent events in my life. And so it's a real challenge to be dealing with those, but then trying to go to work every day. And and everybody's dealing with their challenges. These are just mine, and 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 everybody's you know dealing with something that you know get gets in the way of of being able always to give full attention. And yet, it's so important to continue to come in with a smile and to continue to come in in a way that looks forward. And I, I like sharing power with my staff. You know, giving them more responsibility and letting them run with things. Uh, so that they can continue to help move an organization forward and, and help pull me along on days when I'm feeling 
you know, a little less productive or feeling like I'm making a little less progress. Uh, so empowering my employees has been very empowering to me uh, as a way to a way to do that and supporting them uh, because I know that they're going through their own things, but it's different from what I'm going through. And, and recognizing that what I'm going through is really, really important to me. And I've got to take care of myself. For many other people, it's in the past. You know, it happened. My son died you know, two months ago. So for that's a lifetime for many people. My daughter nearly three years ago, a, a greater lifetime for many people. And so putting myself in, in their shoes has been really important too, to, you know, help me balance both my perspectives and, and my perceptions of the world around me. And, but with the perceptions and perspectives of other people who may be in very different emotional places in their life. That is excellent advice. Um, tell me your thoughts on, again, from the standpoint of a, you know, of a manager, an executive, a leader, what are your thoughts on, on us using psychologists, therapists, psychiatrists, even business coaches? What are your thoughts and opinions on, on, on those professions? Well, if people have got the resources to, to offer those and, and can find people, then the more mental health supports we offer to our workforce, uh, the better off in a sense, they'll be. I mean, right now with what we're seeing with the mental health impacts of the pandemic and just um, mental health impacts on employees, you know, prior to the pandemic, you know, we're seeing a lot. Uh, we've been surveying and we've released our, our most recent report just a couple of weeks back. And, you know, we've just seen a lot of uh, people who are just not feeling as if they're supported in the workplace. People are actively looking for other jobs. People say, you know, they're taking a lot of the time off that they're taking to attend to their mental health. People are saying that they're, you know, they're feeling stressed, they're feeling unsupported. They take out that stress in, in you know, other aspects of their life with where, you know, they're interacting with family and friends. There's just so many things that, that employees are reporting. And, and honestly, even, you know, supervisor employees are reporting these same things. You know, it's just not much different sometimes between the way the the CEO is feeling, frankly, in the way the, the lowest person, you know, with the organization, lowest paid person of the organization or the org charts feeling. Uh, I, I just think we need to understand that. We need to acknowledge it. We need to, to say it. And if the best we can do is just provide informal support, what I'll call informal peer support, you know, we're both working for the same place that gives us something in common uh, to one another. That's better than doing nothing. If we can add on some things to that, if we're capable of adding on more things like the use of professionals uh, to help our, our workforce, then there's no reason not to do that too. And throughout the process though, the most important thing is to continue to get feedback because a lot of employers you know, actually will, will pay for employee assistance programs, for example, and, uh, and to provide a benefit to people, but then the, the employees don't use them. So you want to keep getting feedback to make sure that what you're offering is what people are looking for and to have that dialogue. Otherwise, to add on additional resources, uh, professional ones in particular, can become very expensive, uh, but without a lot of return. How do you, Paul, like identify amongst an employee whether there's you know, a mental health issue or it's just a bad day <laughs> you know, or somebody's just complaining because that's the way that they are? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm a big advocate of uh, implementing what the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force uh, has been recommending for more than a decade, which is universal mental health screening uh, for everybody over the age of 11. Uh, as adults, we should be getting a full mental health screen 
uh, whenever we're getting like blood pressure screening done, whenever we're going for our physical, kids should be getting them as well. And for the most part, we're not getting those. And they're not hard to administer. Uh, the, the depression, the most common depression screening tool is nine questions that people answer. And they respond, you know, whether or not they're having these feelings, you know, frequently or infrequently. It's basically on a scale. So I, I you know, I wouldn't be shy about, you know, as an employer, and, and I'm not shy with my staff people to say, well, because we have a website people can go on and take a free, you know, mental health screen. And I said, go take the depression screen, go take the anxiety screen, and then look at the results you get. And, you know, and that's why, how can you distinguish? I'm no expert. You know, I just run an organization. You know, it's an advocacy organization. And people ask me, you know, how do I know? How, how can I decide? I'm like, don't decide. And don't even ask your employee to decide. Tell the employee, go take a free online mental health screening if you're not getting one from your doctor. And based on the result that you get, you'll, you'll have a better idea what to do. And, and that's, Kind of that's where I am. That's what we should be getting. That's what's been recommended uh, in for a long time now. But, you know, it's because we haven't wanted to talk about mental health. You know, we don't do this one simple thing. And I want to take all the burden off the employer to try to figure out what's going on with their employee. They shouldn't have to do that. Um, just offer a mental health screen free anonymously online if they want to do it through Mental Health America or their doctors or or whatever. But um, and then just figure out when you get the result, what the next steps are, because there's plenty of information and advice that will flow from getting an actual answer instead of just making a guess. OK, so two quick follow ups on that on that point that you raised. First of all, does Mental Health America, your organization, provide uh, like a free you know, screening that employees can use? Um, yeah, it does. And yeah, MHAScreening.org. People can go to just yeah, they can just go to mhascreening.org or go to our website and there's free anonymous, you know, 10 free anonymous evidence-based mental health screening tools that anybody can use. What about privacy concerns, though? I mean, you know, I'm assuming that if an employee is going to you know, participate in that, are you basically telling the employee that if, if any problems arise, please let us know and entrusting the employees to do, you know, to act on their own? Or is that something that an employer can get involved in? Yeah, when we have some um, partners with with screening, where the employer, their employer partners, or that, that offer screening, and in that instance, they may want to get involved. Again, they don't necessarily want to know about the individual employee at that point, but they want to develop enough tools and programs within the. Uh, workspace to try to support employees in general. So people can go all the way in that direction. But the the other side of that, and, and again, related to privacy, is the reason why the screening tools on our website are, are both free and anonymous. People do not have to provide any identifying information. is because that alone um, gives the person uh, enough information that they can decide what their next step is. It may be that they just want to get more information. It may still be they don't want to disclose to their employer. They might want to use peer support. They might want to go get a, you know, clinical support or just some some do-it-yourself tools. Uh, but the important thing for them to know is that when you are ready to disclose um, a serious mental health condition, you know, you're covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act, you know, if you're otherwise qualified to do your job. So a lot of people don't understand that either and think, well, if I do this and I tell my employer, you know, then what if they fire me? You know, and that's that's a legitimate worry that people have, but it's actually uh, highly unlikely to happen uh, because 
you know, do you have ADA protections? And, and most employers I know understand right. that they have to offer ADA protections. So Got less it. of a problem we think it is. Okay. We only have a couple minutes left. So I, I did want to just, just ask you these final, like specific sort of actionable questions, Paul, because this, this information you're giving us is really fantastic. Number one is again, as a business owner, can you, can you give me some just specific things I should be looking for in my employees um, to determine if there is a potential mental health issue? That's question number one. And then my final question is, if I do identify a potential mental health issue, what do I do? as an employer? What, what should be my steps take that you would recommend? Okay. So just the first few things, is their productivity going down? Uh, have you noticed changes in what they're describing in terms of eating habits or sleeping habits, what they're disclosing about that? You know, have their complaints gone up? Uh, is their absenteeism going up? Uh, these would be demonstrable things that aren't the earliest stages, but could be, you know, more moderate stage of, of a mental illness that's come on if they're not otherwise describing any physical reasons behind some of these things happening. And then what can you do? Um, I, I just honestly think that um, talking for setting a culture where you talk about it and other people can talk about mental health as much as they're talking about overall health or physical health. If I like to talk about going out for a run, you know, in which I, I do at work from time to time, I also can talk about, you know, having done cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, it's no big deal. Both of them are taking care of my own overall health and, uh, and recognizing that you, if you can give your employee an opportunity uh, to feel comfortable and supported uh, by telling them that and by talking about things yourself, that's what you can do. And, uh, and that you can do for everybody. And then other people also help move that person along who may be having a more serious effect uh, into something that is appropriate for them for services or treatment. Paul John Frito is the president and CEO of Mental Health America. It's mhanational.org. Uh, Paul, great advice and great information. I appreciate the time that you're spending, and um, we would love to have you back and continue to talk about uh, these issues as they will continue uh, to be a, a big priority among smart business owners that want to take care of their employees. Uh, my name is Gene Marks. I've been joined by John Adakonis, my partner here on the Hartford Small Biz Ahead podcast. If you'd like more advice and information on running your business, please join us at smallbizahead.com or SBA thehartford.com. Plenty of information, and you can also find prior episodes of our podcast. Again, Paul, thank you so much. John, great having you on board with me as well, and we will see you all next time.